if you have a Bible with you, uh, open it up to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 24. If you don't have a good Bible, uh, get one at Guest Connections and uh, let that be our gift to you. There's also some booklets called uh, Peace back there, some encouragement and reflections around Easter that we believe would be an encouragement to you. It is, uh, it's really good to be alongside you to sing, uh, to hear your voices. The front row is the best row. I don't know what you people are doing in the back, but the front row <laughs> is the best because there you hear the collective voices of the people of God declaring this truth through song, and so it is good to be alongside you. Uh, I said this last week, two years ago, there were five people in the room. Last year, we were at two services. It is really good to uh, max out a room together as God's people gather together and to uh, be reminded of the resurrection. Uh, before we get into the Gospel of Luke, I want to share with you this. Um, it never gets old to see an answer to prayer. It never gets old seeing an evidence of God's faithfulness. This past week, we heard from Dave Wolf that he accepted the role of a worship pastor. Since May of last year, we've been praying and seeking uh, God. We want uh, your will to be done. Uh, we want to see the pastoral team here at Crosspoint grow. We want to, uh, to see someone join us in linking arms with us to, in the mission to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus who live devoted to him and dedicated to one another, driven to reach people. And so it is a really, really big encouragement to see the faithful, faithfulness of God, to see how God's people have been praying, and then to see an answer of, of the Lord in his timing in accordance to his will. We are still kind of working out the details of what the process for him to join the team will look like and when that will happen. But for now, this morning, I simply want to encourage you that our God is faithful. He is faithful to his church, not just in the past year since May. He's been faithful to his church throughout the history of humanity, but he's been faithful to this local faith family uh, for nearly 19 years in a lot of different seasons and a lot of different ways. Specifically, as it relates to worship over the past few years, he's been faithful to use the faithfulness of God's people here at Crosspoint, as well as guest worship leaders like Matt Stalter, as well as bringing uh, Dave, Dave Wolf and Dave and Jess and their household to Crosspoint in the coming weeks and months. God is good to his church. He is our chief shepherd. We trust in him. And so he is worthy to be praised because he beat death and rose from the dead. It's good to be reminded of that. And we'll be doing that through uh, the Gospel of Luke. For those of you who would confess Jesus as Lord and Savior and be following him as a way of life, when did Jesus open your eyes to himself? When did you get a, begin to get a clear picture about who Jesus is? For me, I was a junior in high school. Up until then, Jesus was a historical figure, someone who I knew was talked about in the Bible, and a name I used when I was ticked off in basketball, if I'm keeping it honest. But in high school, after having someone tell me the truth about who Jesus was and the mission that he had come for, my eyes were opened. I had heard the truth before, but never saw it as truth, never saw it as something that actually impacted my life. But this moment, January 93, my eyes were opened to the reality that apart from Jesus, I was lost and unable to deal with my own sin. I couldn't resolve that. But through Christ, I could have a relationship with a God who created me. I could have a relationship because a sinless Savior died for sin, for my sin, that had separated me from Him. 
And now by his body and blood, I could be joined to my creator God. I could be joined in relationship through faith and not by works and by grace alone. When did Jesus open your eyes to himself? For some of you, that hasn't happened yet. You're still holding Jesus at arm's length in a sense. Your understanding of who he is hasn't become personal yet to you. I pray it does today. I pray it does today. It becomes personal to you, not just a a fact out there for others, but it becomes personal to you in your life. Today, we'll meet two disciples who are walking home confused, discouraged, following the, the events of Holy Week and Passion Week. What we'll see is Jesus interact with them and pursue them, be in relationship with them, and we'll see their eyes open to the reality of who Christ is. And their lives will be changed as a result. The story begins in verse 13, reading in the CSB translation. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. So it's Sunday morning, it's Resurrection Sunday. Two disciples of Jesus are leaving town following the Passover celebration, and they're leaving town discouraged. They're leaving town disappointed, confused. They're feeling like they're going home losers right now. They're not discussing weather and sports. They're discussing things near and dear to their heart, discussing the events of the previous week, how Jesus had ridden into the town on the previous Sunday, and the people celebrated his arrival, celebra- er, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. But then how the, how the crowds turned because of the scheming of the religious leaders who sought to see Jesus killed. And so the crowds shifted from Hosanna, Hosanna on Sunday to crucify, crucify later in the week. These disciples are confused by what took place, uncertain about what is next. And they're grieving the death of Jesus as they're leaving town. Verse 15 And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? These two disciples are shocked that this guy just shows up. And that he doesn't know anything about what has taken place in Jerusalem recently. It was the talk of the town. A curtain had torn in two, a massive 60-foot curtain had torn in two, and the earth shook. The sky grew dark. This guy seems like he's been living under a rock. A little slow. It's all right. All right. You're welcome. You can use that later. I mean, these are just two seemingly random disciples. They're not famous. They're everyday people. And on the first day of the resurrection of Jesus, the one with all authority in heaven and on earth, he goes to them. He goes to them. To say that this exchange is off the beaten path is an understatement. In the name of efficiency, this exchange doesn't seem very efficient. Jesus talking to two people, only two, who are not even in the city anymore. But hear this, Jesus offers himself as a savior for all people. The situation here of Jesus interacting with two seemingly no-names, one name we never even learn, fits with the posture of how Jesus lived his life. Even in how he came in the flesh, being born in this no-name town of of Bethlehem, being uh, being born in a carved-out cave, 
our Lord and Savior Jesus came for all people. The angel announced that his birth was good news of great joy for all the people, including you and including you, my friend. He came to heal the ones who knew they were sick and in need of of healing. He came to rescue the ones that knew they'd wandered and strayed. He came to set free the ones who had become imprisoned and captive by sin. Jesus came for you. Are you open? Are you open to both your need for him and the realization of his faithfulness toward you? Jesus came for people. And in this Backroads interaction on Resurrection Sunday, we see that reality. And we'll see this throughout his extended time with these two disciples. And we'll see them go and tell of the good news, which will then multiply and spread. Jesus knows not only what they're talking about, but he perceives their hearts. He's asking questions to get to the heart of these disciples. Verse 16 says that they're prevented from recognizing him. Why? We're not sure. But here's one possible and probable reason. Before he opens their physical eyes, he wants to open their heart eyes, if you will. Because the Lord was going to reveal himself, but before he did, he wanted to teach them something first. He wanted to to show them something from the Scriptures that they would not have recognized had they recognized it was Jesus first. He needed to to say, here I am told about in the Scriptures, let your heart eyes be open to this, and then I'll reveal who I am to you. 2 Corinthians 5-7 says that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. The truth is, these two disciples that Jesus, He will not be physically present all of their lives. In fact, His physical presence on earth is drawing to a close Soon after, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit will come in His place after Jesus has ascended to heaven, and and the Holy Spirit will come to teach and remind these two disciples and us to this day what Jesus has taught. The Spirit continues to lead us into truth and empowers us to walk, walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus wants to know from these two disciples, He wants to know from us today, can we believe, can we follow without actually seeing him with our own two eyes? Can we actually walk and live by faith? In the season of discouragement and confusion, will we walk by faith? In the season of victory and blue skies and sunny days, can we and will we walk by faith? In the season of loss, suffering, or trial, will we walk by faith and not by sight? And the Lord has given to us not only his his Holy Spirit, but, but He's given us His living and active Word. A Word, according to Psalm 119.105, that is a lamp, a, a light unto our path. A Word that reveals to us who Jesus is. These two disciples didn't expect Jesus to die just a couple days ago. That's not how they imagined this week going. John Bloom writes this, When God ordains things to happen contrary to our expectations, Those are times when we are tempted to doubt His Word, lose faith, and as a result, lose sight of Him. But not being able to see Him doesn't mean that He isn't there walking with us. Those are not the times to neglect the Word because it is in the Word where we will begin to recover our sight. Our sight. Here's two pieces of truth we know from our God that we see on display in this story. 
the Scriptures reveal to us, one is that the Lord doesn't forsake His people. He never walks out on His people. That promises throughout the Bible. Secondly, the Lord has spoken and is speaking to us through His living and active Word. So one thing Jesus is going to do to bring, is to bring these two back to the Scriptures, using the Word to illuminate their heart and open their eyes. So that even after Jesus is physically gone, he will know, or these disciples will know that Jesus is still present and Jesus is still speaking through his word. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Verse 19, what things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. They knew of Jesus. They knew he was a prophet, powerful in action and speech, and they were hoping that Jesus was going to lead a political revolution against Rome, that he would bring political freedom to Israel. This is what the crowd was hoping for on Palm Sunday. In their understanding, the one who had came to save and redeem on this Sunday morning, their understanding about the one who had came to save and redeem, the one who had walked in or ridden in on Sunday, he'd been soundly defeated by the religious leaders. The one intended to, intended to save supposedly couldn't even save himself. And so they're walking to Emmaus, discouraged and disappointed. Jesus now moves from listener to teacher, verse 25. He said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. They said he was powerful in speech, and here it is. Some translations say slow of heart. See, their unbelief wasn't a matter of their mind. They didn't need more facts to try to convince them of who Jesus is. Their hearts needed to be regenerated. Their hearts needed to be transformed. Their hearts needed to be open to who Jesus Christ is. Their unbelief was a heart issue, not a head issue. And Jesus goes on, verse 26, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. So, so the Old Testament scriptures, these two disciples, they're already familiar with. The author of the book is explaining and teaching them from the book to his disciples. It's the best Bible study ever recorded on the, on the planet. And along the Old Testament journey from Genesis to Malachi, Jesus is reminding them that suffering comes before glory. Suffering comes before glory. Friday comes before Sunday. The cross before the resurrection. The stone first gets rejected before it becomes the cornerstone. They missed that the crucifixion didn't deny the identity of the Messiah. It confirmed it. Because the suffering and death of the Messiah was predicted throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, for example. In Genesis 3, a promise is made that an offspring of Eve will come. And the promised one will be glorified. 
exalted and be the victor, and yet the serpent, our spiritual enemy, will bruise his heel, not, not crush the victor, but bruise his heel. Suffering will be a part of the storyline. And so Jesus is taking them on this journey from the Old Testament and showing them how it all points forward to himself. Jesus said in John 5, 39, that the Scriptures testify about Him. And so as they walk, Jesus is is teaching them how all these Old Testament stories that they know point forward to Him. Pastor Tim Keller wrote this regarding how Jesus is foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament and how we can imagine Him teaching these two disciples. Keller writes, Jesus is the true and greater Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is accredited to us. Jesus is the true and greater Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and greater Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. Jesus is the true and greater Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice that we deserved so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and transform us. Jesus is the true and greater Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power then to save them. Jesus is the true and greater Moses who stands in the gap between the people of the Lord and mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and greater Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes and saves his ignorant friends. Jesus is the true and greater David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish that victory. Jesus is the true and greater Jonah who is cast out into the storm of God's wrath so that we could be brought into safety. Jesus is the true and greater one. Are your eyes open to him, loved ones? He is the true and greater one. Jesus is patiently helping them see how the scriptures that these two disciples knew, how they'd missed the point of what the scriptures reveal and how these recent events in Jerusalem were not accidental, but they were providential. He's wanting them and us to see here, walking them through the Old Testament, he wants us to see the faithfulness of our God, the faithfulness displayed over the history of, of humanity from Genesis to now and into eternity. Our God has never been confused about what to do. He's never been anxious, wondering if His plans will work out. He's never been at a loss about how to redeem evil and use it for His glory or the good of others. He's never been unaware of anything. He sees all. He's never once asked for wisdom because He's all wise. He's never questioned if He's able or powerful enough The stories of the Old Testament reveal to us the power and the goodness of our eternal God who we serve and worship to this day. Old Testament is the anticipation the Savior will come. And all those stories of Adam and Abraham and so forth point us forward the New Testament and the truth that that the promise made in the Old Testament is the promise kept. That's what the New Testament tells us. That the Savior has come and He has not only laid down His life on a Friday, but then took it back up on a Sunday. Some of you are in a a season similar to these two disciples. Confused, grieving, frustrated, doubting. In those seasons, the, the Lord wants to meet you along the road and for you to meet with Him, to abide in Him, to dwell 
in his word that reveals who he is to us to this day. On Easter morning, the resurrection of Jesus shouts to us. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is good. He is above all. He can't be beaten. He's never been beaten. He will have the final say. He does have all authority in heaven and on earth. He is and he will make all things new because he is beaten death. This is what we are reminded of. So when we're walking through difficult seasons, we know that he's faithful. We know that he's good. Verse 28. They came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was going farther But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with him. Jesus pursues these two in relationship. They long to be with him as well. I hope you see that. That Jesus is not in a rush to leave them, nor are they wanting to push him away. They want to be with one another in relational communion. Verse 30, it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? See, their eyes of faith were opened as Jesus opened the scriptures to them. As they enjoyed a meal with Jesus, the bread of life. And as their their eyes had been opened, their lives were transformed as a result. Compare these two disciples about where the walk began and where they are now. Confusion became understanding. Broken hearts became burning hearts. Unbelief gave way, gave way to belief. Verse 33, that very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread prior to their eyes being opened. You might describe their walk toward Emmaus as something pretty aimless. It kind of lacked purpose. It lacked direction. But a risen king of kings, a risen Jesus, doing what he has promised to do, born of a virgin, live the perfect life, sinless life, suffer, die, rise again on the third day, prophesying exactly what would take place and then doing it, well, that changes everything. That changes absolutely everything. It changes direction. It changes purpose. And it leads to one mission, proclaim, to tell. That's exactly what, where these disciples go. Tell everyone. The Lord has truly been raised, and this changes everything. Be reminded, brothers and sisters, the Lord has truly been raised May our eyes be continually opened to this eternity and earthly changing reality. May we turn from earthly distractions that hinder our faith walking and our eyes of faith. May our hearts be inflamed as we abide in Him and dwell in His Word. May He fan into flame the hearts of faith, giving us a prayerful boldness that would glorify Him and bring good to those around us. May we have this singular shared mission to show and tell of the goodness and the gospel of Jesus Christ because we as his followers follow in the way of these disciples where our hearts are transformed and then we got to go tell somebody Jesus has truly been raised.
And so those of you here or watching who don't trust in Jesus yet, may you hear the words, the Lord has truly been raised. May you be changed as a result. May you repent from trusting in yourself and walk by faith in a forever faithful Lord. He loves you. He died for you. He rose again for you so that you might trust in Him and put your faith in Him. May you do that today before you walk out these doors as we pray, as we sing. Today is the day to trust in the Lord. Jesus, you are a risen king. You are a risen king of kings. You are faithful. You are true. You are trustworthy. You are good. You're above all. You can't be beaten even by death. You will have the final say. You do have all authority in heaven and on earth. You will wipe away every tear. You, you will crush death once and for all. And grief and crying such as this and pain will be no more. You will make all things new because you are the faithful and true one. You are the true and greater one. And until you make all things new, you are the cornerstone of our lives. We want to build our, our life let alone the life of this church upon you as our cornerstone. Because you and you alone are the faithful and true one. May you get all the praise. And may you get all the honor. May you ex be exalted through our way of life. This week and in the coming months, we trust you. We pray this in your name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, But as it is, here's the truth. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, with the God-man this time. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. He has truly been raised. May we live in response to that unchanging reality this week.